Good morning. My name is Sean Sears. I'm lead pastor here at Grace Church, and I'm really glad that you guys are here. Uh, good, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, pastor Ken's an awesome guy when he's not being a jerk to me, apparently, right? Uh, but he's passionate about a few things. He's passionate about his, uh, he has an uh, Indian motorcycle is, is what he has. And it's a, uh, it's like an 1800 or a 19, it'll tow a semi-truck is what his motorcycle will do. Uh, I've got a Honda Shadow 750, uh, mine, mine eats his dust. That's what mine does. Uh, I, I tried to get into motorcycles, tried to get really passionate about it. I uh, bought a used motorcycle. I'm not going to buy one brand new because I'm not all like super into it or anything yet. Uh, but I tried to get into it and then it broke down. Uh, it broke down about a month and a half ago and uh, I made an appointment. The soonest I could get my motorcycle fixed is September 23rd. That's this coming Wednesday. So I had a two-month appointment to get that. I tried to be passionate about it. I just, I just, I just couldn't. We're all passionate about different things. Uh, I don't know what you're passionate about just for fun. Think like the one thing that you're like really passionate about and tell the person next to you. What are you passionate about? What do you like most? What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Tell somebody next to you. You're like, I'm by myself and I want to get no close to nobody or I will die. All right, that's fine. You ain't got to tell nobody. You ain't got to talk to nobody else if you don't want to. Uh, we're all passionate about different things. My son is passionate about Premier League soccer. My son's passionate about soccer. Uh, I never played soccer uh, because I was a chubby kid, and soccer is the one sport you never stop running. So I, that didn't sound fun to me at all. Uh, I played football only because my friends played football, but they showed us a video of all these kids who broke their neck. Uh, they showed me that video when I was a ninth grader to get me to not duck my head when I tackled. Uh, they wanted me to look up when I tackled so I wouldn't injure myself, but what that video did was made me afraid of tackling at all. So I, I, I was a horrible football player. They needed bodies on the field. I was the guy that would just run out and I'd, you know, uh, I formation 34 dive on. To, like I would run the plays in from the coach. That's all I did, but the defense after like the second quarter knew I was never going to get the ball, and I was totally fine with that. Basketball was my sport, though. Love basketball. My junior year, uh, we won state championship. I was a I was a starter on that team. I got a four point play back before they invented the three point line because I was on a fast break, went up for a layup. Mike San Mark Sanchez from Brevard County. Punched me in the eye, got my eye filled up with blood, but I made the layup, it rolled around, it was very dramatic, right? It was the state championship game, the newspapers were there, and then it was an intentional foul, uh, and so then I got two free throws. It doesn't matter, this is the only time I can ever tell that, my kids don't listen to the story and you have to, right? So this is the only chance I get to tell that story. All right, anyway, I'm passionate about basketball. Now, Ryan's good at basketball, he's 6'3", but he's not passionate about it. What he's passionate about is soccer. Now, he ended up becoming the, the senior, uh, he's, he's a varsity captain for Stoughton High this year and their, their, their soccer team, which is awesome, but I wanted something to connect with my son about, and it wasn't going to be basketball, so I had to learn to be passionate about soccer. So now we watch British Premier League every week, found out that one out of seven, one out of every seven people on the planet watch Premier League every single Saturday. Did you know that? Like one billion people watch British soccer every single, not their championship, just their regular season games. One billion people every weekend watch uh, Saturday soccer Premier League. I had no idea. Anyway, I'm a Chelsea guy. Uh, my son is, is Arsenal. And then Garrett just got into it so he can connect with, with Ryan and I also. And he picked Tottenham. They just got Gareth Bailey. I'm just saying, like, you know, you can just, like, none of this matters to anybody else because you're not passionate about it. Right now, if you're the one person in here who's like passionate about about soccer, you know that like like Chelsea just had like some like really like sick, insane signings in the past month. But everybody else, I've already lost you because you're not you're not passionate about the same things I'm passionate 
about. Uh, but we're passionate about all kinds of crazy different things. We're passionate about real estate investment, right? Like, I, I, I remember in the 90s, I, I bought Carlton Sheets, How to Buy Real Estate, No Money Down. Anybody remember Carlton Sheets in the 90s? What's up? I watched all of that, and he said after six weeks, if you don't like it, you could, or excuse me, up to six weeks, could you return it for a full money back? I returned it, and to his credit, he refunded me my money. I'm just saying, like, we're, we're, crazy, we're, we're, we're passionate about different things. Real estate development, uh, we're passionate about Fortnite. Uh, anybody here passionate about Fortnite? Uh, anybody, Minecraft, anybody, Call of Duty, Any, back there in the back, I see you, Captain Minecraft back there. Um, anybody passionate about Call of Duty? We're pa- okay, all right. Uh, I'm, I'm Sean's name, that's my gamer tag, just so you know, and Ryan is Deshaun S. Uh, he got my old one. We're passionate about the New England Patriots. Who likes the Patriots? Anyone? Now, are you more passionate about Tom Brady or the Patriots? All right, good, good. You love Jesus, that's good, all right. <laughs> Passionate about the Celtics. Oh, and I know that, like, I wasn't feeling good last night. I went to bed, so I didn't get to see the end of the game. Who won? The Celtics won? Oh, gosh. Okay. Because, like, if we had lost that, like, they, we started falling apart. What the heck? All right? So we're passionate about a lot of different things. I saw a documentary this past week, and apparently there's a guy who's super passionate about British history from Alfred the Great to the 12th century. Look at that. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of friends. Um, but here's what's crazy is that we start building connections and friendships and other relationships around our, our passion. We do this naturally. No one tells us to build friends with those who have, share our passions. It's just something that we naturally do. And this entire series is based on the idea that you see both in the, in the Hebrew Bible uh, and in the, the, the Greek Bible, the, 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 the Jewish Bible that Christians refer to as the Old Testament, and the New Testament, what you see uh, all the way through from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelations is that you and I will never become the healthiest versions of ourselves in isolation. You cannot become the healthiest version of yourself in isolation. So everything that we're going through right now, while it is putting the fear of God in us for our physical health and for the health of our, of our loved ones, I believe long term the greatest threat is to our spiritual health. It's to our emotional health. You weren't created this way. We open up this series by looking at the very first, the set, very first page of the Bible. Uh, God said the one thing in a perfect world, God, there was not even any sin in the world yet. And when God had created everything perfect, the one thing that he said was not good was that one of us should be alone. That's the one thing, that, that was the very first thing that God ever said, this ain't right, that anybody should ever be alone. And everything that we're going through right now is causing us to isolate ourselves from other people. Even more, you can never become the person that God created you to be, the person that Jesus rescued you from sin to become, without three different types of relationships. And we all crave these types of relationships. The first type of relationship that you have to have is like a, a transparent relationship. You need somebody that knows you. I mean, like knows you, knows you, right? You need a close friend who's going to, to that you can go to and brag when at the high moments of life, somebody to, to like to be, who's going to be genuinely just as excited for you as, as you are for yourself. You need somebody like that. You also need somebody who's going to notice when you're not doing well, who's going to ask you the questions you don't want anybody to ask you. Uh, because when I'm unhealthy is when I'm tempted to be less transparent. When my marriage is falling apart, I don't run to my best friend and say my wife's about to leave me because I don't want him to know that because I'm afraid he's going to think less of me as a man because I can't keep a healthy marriage, right? I mean, like, my insecurities come up when I become unhealthy, and I don't want to share that with anybody. 
right? Like you don't want to share your brokenness with somebody else. You don't want to talk, like you don't want people to know that you have a secret addiction. You don't want anybody to know this. But you've got to have somebody who's close enough to you that knows you well enough that they can ask you questions that you would not want anybody else to answer, but somebody that you trust enough to be honest with. You have to have that person. You have to have a close friend, like a best friend, a really close friend who shares your faith. Somebody who is walking towards Jesus with you. Somebody who, when they stumble on the path, you can pick up them up. And then when, when you stumble on the path, they can pick you up. And Billie Jean is that for me in a lot of ways. But she's not that way in every way because sometimes the conflict is between us. Right? And she's not, I, and I still need that other, other person. Um, I've had people share with me that that's your biggest prayer request right now, is that I need a really godly close friend right now. And I think that's something you ought to continue to pray for. I, I think that if you get involved on a ministry team or in a life group that puts you in position outside of the weekend services to just get to know other Christians, then the idea is that maybe you guys can hang out a little bit socially to see it. And I don't need to teach you how to make friends. You guys already know how to make friends. It's just a burden in your heart that you're praying for. Keep praying for that. Second thing you need is you need like a crew of people. You need like, uh, like your lunch table I talked about last week. Like um, not everybody that you sit with at lunch is your best friend. Uh, but you need friends, like a group of friends, uh, at, at lunch, at school. And we also need that in life. Um, and, then, and then today we're talking about that, that larger group, that community of relationships, uh, that larger gathering or that tribe, uh, that community of people to which we belong to, where we share uh, values and a, and a common purpose, and that's the church, and that's what we're talking about today. Uh, we're all loyal to something and to someone. Sociologists tell us this. They say that every single human being longs to be connected to a collective community that shares a common goal. We all have that desire in our heart to be a part of something that, that matters, something that's bigger than ourselves. We want that. If you don't have that, you may be experiencing what sociologists also call collective loneliness. It's when that hunger for a tribe to belong to is unsatisfied. Um, um, it's a community of people who share a common purpose together. And so we're all in search of a cause, something that gives our lives meaning. And some of us find this in, in other places. Some of us find this in politics. Uh, truthfully, I, I, think, <laughs> I think the world has lost its mind. Can I get an amen on that one? Can we all agree the world has lost its flipping mind? Uh, and truthfully, some of you guys are more concerned about who people vote for than who they live for. Right, And so you find your greatest identity not in your relationship with God and his family, but in a political party. Some of us find our identity in, in excuse me, this, this meaning, this, this, this belonging, this community in those who share our sexual identity. Uh, those who are passionate about the environment, those who are passionate about motorcycles, fraternities, sororities, sports, your national identity or even our race. And while these passions and pieces of ourselves are important, they were never meant to be the thing that defined who we are or what we were created for. So this brings me to the first of only three points today, and that's this. Our purpose is given to us, not created by us. Our purpose, our identity, who we are is something given to us, not created for us. 
Uh, this is a table. Would you guys agree? Raise your hand if you would agree this is a table. But the table might not want to be a table, but it doesn't matter because the table didn't invent itself. The table might say, I wish I was an axle. I'm sorry, you weren't made to be an axle, right? I want to be a spear or a javelin. Nope, you can't be a spear or a javelin. I want to be a ladder. Nope, you were not created to be a ladder. The table doesn't get to, to, to invent its own purpose. Its creator does. Are you with me? You're not the one who came up with the idea of you. Even your mom and dad didn't know that that was the time that you were going to be made, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But there were other times, and, and nothing happened. And then, but then this time, you happened, right? And then even when you happened, they didn't even know for a while. And that's probably all I should say about that. There's a lot of little kids. There's more little kids in service today than normal. So we're just going to leave that alone. My point is, God knew you happened. Right? Ain't no baby an accident. The Bible says that God is the creator of life. Like the reason why you happened when you happened is God intended you to exist. He is your creator. And he gets to decide whether you're an axle or a table. My job is to discover, is to discover the purpose for which I was created, not to invent one. The Bible talks about this and how miserable it is for people who are tables who fight to be axles. This is in the Bible, uh, Isaiah chapter 45. If you've got your Bible, go there. Uh, if you've got a cell phone, you can open up your Bible app. Go to the top, where, where dot, bottom left, there's the four icons along the bottom of your, can, of your cell phone. The second one over says read. Click read, and it'll show a, Bible, a book of the Bible at the top. Go to Isaiah chapter 45, 9 through 12, and here's what it says. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator. What sorrow? What sorrow? And you and I felt that. Have you ever wished that God had given you a different life? Raise your hand if you've ever wished that. If everybody else is, is a liar, I think, probably, or you have the perfect, you are the perfect person, right? Like most of us at some point in our life had been wished that we'd been born into a different family, uh, born, born with different skill set. Um, like, why, why can't, why, why couldn't I have been born as, as Mark Zuckerberg's kid, right? That one kid's going to inherit all of that. Or, like, why didn't my parents get rich? Like, why, like, these are the things that we, why, why didn't I have a higher IQ or better personality? Or, you know, we can go to dark places and, and then we argue with our creator. We get upset with God. Uh, this past week, uh, there's a girl that I went to college, uh, high school with. I was a senior. She was a uh, an eighth grader. Um, I only know her. Uh, because she, went, she was in the same class as my sister, so she was friends with my sister. And she put on Facebook a question, and then she tagged me in the question so that I would see it, and maybe that I would respond to it. But she said, I know that God loves everybody the same, but I don't think he likes all of us. She said, because the people that he likes, he gives better hands to, and then the people that he doesn't, they get a worse hand. And I just want to know what I can do to get God to like me but more. And I said, nothing. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. <laughs> There's a whole answer for that. And if that's what you're struggling with, that's not the purpose of the teaching today. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that now. But if that's something that you struggle with, I was able to answer that question, I think, from a biblical perspective in three paragraphs. I'd be happy to forward that to you. My email is sean at thatsgrace.org. If you've seen our website, thatsgrace.org, just put sean at the beginning of it, S-E-A-N. And I'd be happy to just forward you those three paragraphs. Maybe you have a friend that's struggling with it. So you, you could share, if that helps you uh, have a healthy conversation with them, uh, go for it. But my point is, is that my, my sister's friend is struggling with, with God making her a table. When she, when she wanted to be an axle.
right? Uh, what, what, what sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the table say to the carpenter, stop, don't make me a table? It doesn't happen. Verse 10, how terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or it said to its mother, why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and your creator. Do you question what I do for my kids? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, do, you, do you give me orders about the work of my hands? No, they're not orders. They're just suggestions, please. I am the one who made the earth and created the people to live in it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are of my command. Verse 18 goes on to say, For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and the earth, and he put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. I publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. And all I'm doing by reading this is I want the gravity and the heaviness of the idea that there is a God who created all of this, who came up with the idea of me, and I belong to him. I am not my own. I'm his. He picked the day I was born, and God knows the day I die. No one else does. And I can't live one day past my expiration date. I didn't get to choose my height. I didn't get to choose my eye color. I like all of everything about me, even the stuff that I've made with my own hands, I made with hands that I did not give myself. Like everything about me is a result of the assets that God loaned me and will someday take back from me. And it is to him that I will give an account. So if I want to find meaning and value in this life, if I want to discover the purpose for which I exist, it is to God I must go. Because he's the creator of my table. Right? He's the creator of my table. It is God who created you at this time and in this place. There's a verse in Acts chapter 18 that says that it is God who determines the time in which we live and the place in which we dwell. Everything about you, designed by God. So it's in God that we discover our identity, learn about our brokenness, Celebrate our rescue from our brokenness and move toward our purpose. It's God who created you for healthy community. It's God who gave you a sense of emptiness that will never be filled until you find your way to him. It's God who blesses you. It's God who calls you. It's God who lets you get to the place of sorrow for your sin. It's God who gives you the faith in which to believe it's God who gives you the chance to repent of that sin. It's God who paid for that sin. It's God who rose from the dead with new life to give you a new shot at life. It's God who fills you. It's God who transforms you. And it's God who, when you do turn from your sin, not only places you in healthy relationship with himself, but places you in his family. And that brings me to the second of three points for the teaching today, and that's this. God designed you to be a part of a world-changing community. God designed you for more than making money. God designed you to make a difference. Like your life actually counts to more than just your employer. 
Like you have purpose, you have meaning. And truthfully, our careers provide an income so that we can do the things for which we were created. But the careers in and of themselves are not the purpose for which we were created. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship with each other and to sharing in meals with each other and to prayer. The choice to turn from sin and follow Jesus is a choice to be devoted to the same cause of Jesus and to relationship with others who follow him. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 to 47 says this. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while enjoying the, the, the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. There's nothing wrong with me being passionate about basketball. There's nothing wrong with Ken being passionate about, about his motorcycle and MMA and knives and guns and all things macho. And there's nothing wrong with me not being as passionate about all of those things. There's nothing wrong with you being passionate about real estate development. There's nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with you being passionate about your music. It's just that those things are what we were, may not be what we were called to. Our candidate winning the election, our team winning the championship, Getting your first multifamily, retiring comfortably are all good things. They're just not the most important things. We've been given a bigger calling. We've been given something more important to do. Because when we stand in the presence of God, none of us will care whether or not we retired at 52, 62, or 72. You won't care about that. You won't care whether or not you had $10,000 in the bank, a million dollars in the bank, or $10 million in the bank when you died. When you stand before God, all you are going to care about is whether or not you're prepared for this interaction and how many of those you loved and care about will also be here with you. And I promise you there will come a day when we will stand before God and we will wish we could come back to this day and do things differently. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 tells me the purpose for which I was rescued from my own brokenness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says this, I am Christ's ambassador. You are not, listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are not an ambassador for the Democratic Party. You are not an ambassador for the Republican Party. You are an ambassador of Jesus. And God help you if you're a Christian, if your political party interferes with your Christian witness. Dear God in heaven, help you. We have chosen everything else in the world through which to identify, and God is something that we show up for once or twice a week. And he is the filter through which all other expressions of our, ident our identity are to be lived through. God is making his appeal through us, so we are Christ's ambassadors, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 20. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Jesus when we plead, come back to God. There is nothing, there is no purpose greater for which to dedicate my life than the rescue of those who are farthest from God. That's why the way you work, live at work matters. Because I can't help your friends at work no one to follow Jesus. But if your friends at work live the rest of their life disconnected from God and they die, does it not make sense that they enter eternity disconnected from God? And you can pray for God to save, to rescue all of your friends, all you want. But he already started answering that prayer when he made you their friends. 
Like you can pray for your family, your brother-in-law, your sisters, your cousins, your street, your neighbors, co-workers, teammates to come to faith in Jesus. But you're the person that God rescued and sent into that group of people to give them the best chance. And when we treat people at work as commodities so that we can make more money, we live for the wrong purpose. As a collective, we have the responsibility and privilege to represent Jesus to our entire community. That's the purpose for which I was created. Colossians chapter 1.18 says, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. You can't say you love Jesus if you don't love his church. He is the head of his body, which is the church. You can't say that you love Jesus whom you haven't seen if you can't love his family who you have seen. You can't say that you're committed to the head if you're not committed to the body. Now, I know that this is a very complicated thing for us because we've been to so many unhealthy churches that have done so many things that do not represent Jesus at all. The idea, though, that those who would turn from sin to begin following Jesus and would gather together on a regular basis was not the Pope's idea, it's not Billy Graham's idea, it's not Sean's idea, it's not even St. Peter's idea, it's Jesus' idea. And as that happened, organization and structure evolved around that to take care of people and to get mission done, and sometimes that got corrupted by the greed of the people who were in charge of those organizations. But what we've done along the way is thrown out the baby with the, ba with the bath water. And if you're not familiar, if, like if you're a young kid and you're not familiar with that phrase, if a kid goes outside and gets really muddy and the parents bring him in and put him in the bathtub, and then the whole bathtub gets really dirty, you're like, ooh, that's gross. You want to drain the bathtub. You don't want to throw away the bathwater and the baby. Like the baby's worth keeping even if the bathwater is dirty. That's where that don't throw out the baby with the dirty bathwater. The problem is that sometimes there's so much dirty bathwater, you can't see the baby in there. How many of you guys ever been to a church that had way more dirty bathwater than it had baby? Anybody ever been in a church like that? The baby is the thing that Jesus died for. The scripture even says that Jesus died for his church, his team, his crew, his family. When you were rescued from sin, God didn't want to just put you in relationship with him, but called you to live as a part of his family, his body, to be a part of his body. So this church is more than just a service that we attend. It's a team in which, on which we belong. It's a family in which we belong. That's why picking a church family is more important than choosing a company to work for or as it relates to you discovering your purpose, even the college that you attend. Picking a church family is a big deal. It is through a church family that we are to live as ambassadors of Jesus at our place of business or at our, our, our school of choice. That's why also leaving a church family shouldn't be something that we take lightly. And that brings me to the third of only three points, and that is this. God has a role specifically designed for you to play in this church. And if not this church, then find the church that it is. But dang it, I don't know how you can live as a follower of Jesus without playing a role in some local church. You won't find that in the New Testament anywhere at all. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 10 says this. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Raise your hand if you have a gift or something that you can do really well. Raise your hand. <laughs> the rest of you guys, there's lots of YouTube channels where you can figure out how to get good at stuff. All right? You're like, I'm not raising my hand. 
because you probably ain't looking at me anyway, or I suck at everything. You're probably good at something. This verse is talking about that. God has given you different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. If it's to give, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility serious. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really. Notice all of the gifts that it says come from God have to do with the way that we treat people. Do you notice that? But when I asked you, what are you good at? You thought about things you could do that make you money. Am I right? Like we are looking at everything backwards. I almost said the other way to say backwards. The way my papa used to say it. It was church, but I didn't say it that way. But we look at everything backwards. Some of you guys don't know. That's okay. Um, and if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Verse 9, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. And where does that happen? That happens in the context. Read the rest of Romans chapter 12. It's in the context of the way that we live our lives through our church families. It is through God's spirit at work in us that we find our purpose. It is here that we collectively discover our identity. Who I am and what I was created for is intimately connected to my church family and their involvement in the mission of Jesus. That's why you want to belong to a church that does more than just perpetuate the services on the weekend. That's why you want to be a part of a church family that's on mission with Jesus that's outwardly focused. It's why you want to be a part of a church that actually makes a difference in the world whether or not those people ever come to faith in Jesus or not. Don't let the church for you simply be an app that you download onto the operating system of your life when God intended it to be the operating system of your life around which all other apps revolve. Don't let your number one concern over the next few weeks be who people vote for rather than who they live for. You weren't created to advocate for Trump or Biden. You were called to someone a whole lot more important than either one of them. And his mission is to shape all other expressions of my identity and focus so that I am a faithful representation of him on my basketball team, in soccer, in homeroom, in my dorm, in my frat, in my sorority. Never was in one of those. On my street, in my little league coaching friends, uh, in my family, in my community, and in this world. Maybe you're not sure you're a part of God's family. Maybe you believe in God. But honestly, the idea of dying right now, like, and that's the scariest thing about death. Can we be honest about it? Like, we all know that we're going to die, and we don't like thinking about it. But the scariest thing about it is not that it's going to happen. It's that we don't know when. Am I right? Like, that's the terrifying thing. <laughs> like, there's a cliff somewhere in our road, and we're all driving down this road. And the bad thing is we don't know where that cliff is. It could be tomorrow. It could be, it could be, I mean, like we, no, nobody knows. That's the scariest thing about it. And like even me mentioning this to you right now, you're like, please move on, preacher. Quit talking about this. This is really uncomfortable. Because the idea of standing face to face with God and giving an account for your life up to this point terrifies the living heck out of you. And it probably should, right? It should, that should be something that all of us take very seriously. So what we do is we try to be really, really good, really, really good until we're bad, and then we try to do more good than bad because religion has taught us over the centuries 
that God weighs your good and bad on a scale. The only problem is that it's nowhere in the Bible. What the Bible actually teaches is that God's standard for getting into heaven is holiness. It's not how good you were, it's whether or not you're guilty of breaking his laws and being selfish towards your fellow man. Just like any judge. You never stood before a judge ever that just said, well, how many hours did you volunteer, and then I'll let you get away with DUI. Right? The question isn't, are you a little league coach, so that now I'll let you get away with whatever you did wrong. The question is, are you innocent or guilty of what you're accused of? That's it. That's the only question a judge has to answer. Are you innocent or guilty? That's it. So when we stand before God, he's not going to be any more crooked than what we'd expect any other judge to be. The question that we answer before God is, are you innocent or guilty of breaking my laws? And every single person here, you know the laws, there's, there's 10 of them, right? And every single one of us have broken probably every single one. He's like, I haven't murdered anybody. But then Jesus comes along and says, and if you have, please don't tell me that. That would be uncomfortable, Right? But when Jesus comes along, he says, if you've hated somebody, you're guilty of murder in your heart. Well, I haven't committed adultery either. But then he said, if you've lusted over somebody, you've committed adultery in your heart. Crap! Now I'm guilty of both of those two. Right? There's not a single one of them I pass. So when I stand before God and he says, are you innocent or breaking my laws? Innocent or guilty? What will I have to say? Guilty. And if God is good, he can't let me slide. Excuse me. Yeah. But because he's love, he'd let somebody else take my place. He let somebody else take your place. But I can't take your place because I have my own sins to pay for. The only person who could take your place and my place would be somebody who'd never broken those laws. Well, who's that? The only person who's never broken any of the commandments? Jesus. But if Jesus is just a man, then his one man's life would be worth how many other people's lives? One. But if Jesus is God who showed up as man, then how many mankind's lives is God's life worth? That's why Jesus matters. And so the goal for you is not to try to be better person, better person, better person, better person. It's to realize that Jesus is the only one who was. And it's to accept that his death, his burial, and his resurrection fully pays off my debt. And while I would never be so fresh as to demand that Jesus die for me since he volunteered, I'd be crazy to ignore it. Maybe you would agree with that. So then your response is, Jesus, forgive me for sinning too. Forgive me. It's God who gives you the desire to be saved from sin. It's God who gives you the grace to repent of your sin. So if you right now have the desire to be in a relationship with God, that desire comes from God, you need to respond. Because he's not obligated to give you another chance. But you've got this chance. You get to decide what to do with it. God, forgive me for sinning against you. I accept your payment for my sin. Save me from all of it. Help me to follow you with the rest of my life. Maybe you've already come to that place, but you haven't been baptized yet. Some of you guys would say, well, I was baptized as a baby. And that was an expression of whose faith? Yours as a baby or your parents? If you were baptized as a baby, whose faith was that a demonstration of? Your parents. How long are you going to live on borrowed faith? Like at some point, shouldn't you make this your own? Well, why do I need to be baptized? The Bible says for two reasons. One, because it was the example that Jesus set. He said, everybody who comes after me needs to follow this. Every person who was ever baptized in the whole Bible was baptized after they became a devoted follower of Jesus. It's kind of like my wedding ring. I could take off my wedding ring and put it on a kid. That doesn't make them married to anyone. 
This has no meaning and power apart from a pre-existing covenant relationship. And baptism is the exact same way. Every time I put on my ring, it's a recognition that I've put to death a single man, Sean. I don't live as a single man. I live as a married man. And this is a tangible reminder of that. Romans chapter 6 says that baptism does the exact same thing. It's in baptism that I bury the person I used to be. I let go of that identity, and now I identify as a devoted follower of Jesus. In the same way that when I put on my wedding ring, I let go of my identity as a single man, and I've chosen a new identity as a one-woman man for life. And in the exact same way, I put to death the person I was before Jesus and fully commit to identifying as a follower of his for the rest of my life. And some of you guys have already come to the place where you've called on Jesus to forgive you and save you from your sin, but you've been dragging around all of your old crap with you, and you're having a hard time getting away from the stink of your past. And truthfully, what you need to do is bury that joker in baptism. We're doing baptisms next week. Actually, we're doing some of them this week. We're not doing it here. We're doing it in public places. We're doing it in pools. We're doing it. I, I think uh, Braintree is even going to be doing it uh, at, at uh, Wollaston Beach. Uh, we do it in lakes. We don't even care. If you have a pool, uh, me or one of the other leaders in our church will come baptize you in your pool. We don't, we don't even care. But if you know that that's your next step, you should take it. Maybe you've already become a devoted follower of Jesus, but you've not uh, honestly connected to a local expression of his body, to the church. It's, it's something that you just kind of like, like show up for occasionally, but it's not, it's not a pathway through which you have discovered your identity as a devoted follower of Jesus. And you need to pick one. Pick a church. And it's not just something to attend. It's something that becomes a part of who you are. It's the purpose for which you were created, to live on mission the same mission Jesus was on in the context of the rest of his family who are doing the exact same thing. Or maybe you've chosen a church family, but in all honesty, it's more something that you do from time to time than something that shapes who you are. My last question is this. What area of your life needs to be adjusted so that you can more fully embrace the life that God is calling you to live? What's the one distraction that you need to let go of that's keeping you from fully embrace your life as a table? Or your life as an axle, or your life as a ladder, or your life as a spear. God's the one who created you. You have a purpose for which you were created. And there are things in your life that have distracted you from that. And I can't set those things aside for you, only you can. And if you know what it is, tell God you're willing to let it go. Let's pray. God, for those who are spiritually disconnected from you, I pray that they would call on you to forgive them of their sin and commit themselves to following you, Jesus, with the rest of their life. And if that's where you're at, make that your prayer. God, save me from my sin. Help me to follow you with the rest of my life. I am all in. If you've already come to that place, but since then you haven't been baptized underwater, God, I am ready to put to death the person I used to be, to let that go. I want to fully embrace my identity as your kid. I'm ready for that next step. If you're still in between churches, you haven't found a church through which you know God's called you to live as a follower of Jesus, then make that your prayer. God, help me to find the right church family. And if this is your church family, but up to this point, it's just been something you attended, but not something you were a part of, then tell God why that is and ask him to help you get past that. God, I don't know the spiritual condition of anybody in this room, but I know that you do, and I know that you are willing to draw people to yourself, and that you would not call people to come to you if you were not willing to be found by them. That's what that passage of Scripture in Isaiah just said. So God, for those of us who are turning from sin to begin following Jesus, thank you for saving us from our sin. For those, God, who are willing 
to let go of the person they used to be so that they can fully embrace their identity as a follower of Jesus. Thank you, God, for their courage. I celebrate that and honor them for it. God, for those of us who are looking for a healthy church family to be a part of, help us to find that. For those who are part of this church family, help us to find a way to fully engage with everything that you created us to be to help this church accomplish its mission so that all of those around us can find more opportunities to know and to follow you and be rescued from their sin too. Let your will be done in us, God, so that your will can be done through us. This is our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name and we all say together.